For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blayford in the cave with me, your two favorite troglodytes, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Mark Tuttle. And this is the special allergy edition of the Catholic Cave. Everybody in here is sniffling and wheezing, and so Uh we apologize ahead of time if you hear any of that during the show. But uh, gentlemen, there's been a lot of talk in the media everywhere lately as to authority Mm. who has authority to make decisions to hand down decrees as to what we are to do what we are to believe how we are to live there's a lot of that going on in the church also so my question is how do we show respect to the church respect to the authority respect to the tradition respect respect to the magistrate and still live within the confines of what we may see differently through our conscience. Well, there's a that's a great question, Kent. Thanks for teeing that up. Uh, okay, Mark. So that's a green light for you and I to to dig into things like authority, conscience, obedience, all that kind of stuff because it's all related. Um, and I, here's where I'm gonna here's where I'm gonna I'm gonna try to lay a foundation, at least an initial thought on on trying to respond to that question, Kent, I'm going to go to the Ten Commandments. And the reason why I'm going to go to the Ten Commandments is I'm going to point out a couple, couple, two quick things. One, the first three commandments really are about our our duty um, to worship the one true God and lays out some of our obligations towards uh, the triune God. But then also, the fourth commandment, right? So right after you have the first three, the fourth commandment, which really are direct, specific to God, the fourth one is what? Honor thy mother and father. So right in there, you you see that there's something going I'm going to say there's something going on there that points to um, an authority that your parents have, that, you ha- that your parents have over you, and a, and a deference and an obedience and respect towards them. So... So right there, I think, in the Ten Commandments, you begin, you see already that there is authority, uh, authority in the way God has arranged in His divine providence, arranged these relationships. The, the two most important ones: our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. Yeah, I think I think parents are a great way to kind of start this this conversation because everybody does recognize sort of that natural duty to obey your parents especially when you're kids right when mm-hmm. when you're a kid you got to do what mom and dad says that's just the way of the world and, and if you and, don't there's consequences and if you don't there's there's consequences but when right. you get to be an adult um that that relationship and it's still a relationship of respecting sort of the the, the authority to a certain extent and honoring the the position that your parents have but you don't always see eye to eye with your parents as right. an adult. Um, there, there are often times that your your parents tell you to to do something that you know is wrong. 
um, and you you kind of conscientiously object to what your parents say. So I think that brings up a, a great sort of friction point to talk about this, that in the process of honoring your parents, and, and I think this comes into play more when you're an adult, the process of honoring your parents doesn't automatically mean just carte blanche, rigid obedience. There can be disagreements and there can be, um, there can be friction there between what they desire and what they want and what you desire and what you want. And you know, one or the other of you may be right or wrong, but you, you kind of conscientiously disagree and how you manage that when you're dealing with an authority, I think is, is really important. And that transfers over to authority all the way up that, that transfers over to our bishops that transfers over even, even to our Pope that, you know, there, there may be points of disagreement, but that respect for the authority, that respect for the, the position of the teaching authority still remains intact and it still has to be honored. Yeah, and that's one of the—I think that's that also touches on something that is, I think, so difficult these days, which is um, to uh, have a conversation with someone, a discussion, uh, even a passionate discussion, uh, when you disagree with someone, and being able to separate out, like, one's position, perspective, point of view— arguments from the person themselves like that it almost always devolves into now you know like personal attacks but um so so how we how we have those disagreements is important too but but going back to authority which i think is a a great topic to, to get into so i i think as i see it there's a there's a couple of different ways of us to think about authority one is in that um the authority that one experiences in the domestic church uh, namely the family, um, and that is as you're talking about. It's one as a as a child growing up, and what 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 sort of um, home life one has, what sort of family life, and then as uh, for most, not all, but most, as you transition into adulthood, and then in through adulthood, then you become the parent, and you uh, have you're then vested with a certain authority in your own household. Um, and then, uh, and there's even an authority between spouses, um, and then spouses towards children. So that's one. And then I think that that's going to help us understand or point to things like Aristotle. I'll go to Aristotle because that is, we're kind of going back in time. Aristotle, of course, brings up in his politics, this whole notion of the, the, the city, the city state, uh, really being an image of really the, the person, the soul. So, um, and so. Uh, that's a, that's a, there's a necessity to human flourishing where we have to pursue the common good together to optimize human flourishing. And therefore you begin to have things, you, you then begin to have questions of authority over others that are not your immediate family relations. Yeah, man, you, you brought up Aristotle. Aristotle's a great guy to bring up. Um, and, and I think whenever people think of Aristotle, what do they think of? Thomas Aquinas? No, they think That's of what fours. I do. They think of fours. They think of four causes. Oh, right? yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, and, okay, and, and, sure. And so, you know, Aristotle says in order to understand anything, you got to understand the, the the four causes of them. And so let's let's take a, a deep dive and look at authority because I think getting to the purpose of authority helps to clear the air a lot when you're talking about authority and obedience of of what ultimately the the purpose. Um, why is it that God gave? 
parents' authority over their children. Why is it? I mean, honestly, you look at the creation of the world and, and man was given dominion over the animals, right? He was given the power to name the animals. There's a certain authority that's given there. What, and, and obviously, I can't even get my dog to obey me. So it's not a, a straight, strict obedience type of thing. What really is the purpose behind authority? Well, I, I'll say one one purpose is to uh, achieve order good order so uh since i brought up saint thomas aquinas who we love um i think aquinas he, he may not be alone or may not have been the first to say this but uh peace is really the tranquility you achieve peace through the tranquility of order so uh you see even in the old testament with uh i'll go to moses since i was talking about the ten commandments earlier so moses Moses is, is, is charged by God to settle disputes uh, because inevitably reasonable people, everyone has this experience, reasonable people can disagree. Uh, there's a lot of different ways to uh, accomplish things and see things. So disputes are an inevitable aspect of the human condition. So how, so the question becomes, well, how do you resolve disputes? Well, Moses is, is, is tasked first with resolving all the disputes for all the... <laughs> All the Israelites. Well, he he soon tires, right? <laughs> he he, he grumbles. Can you picture that scene? Can you can you picture <laughs> right? the, can you long, the line, the long line right. of people waiting? Probably to goes see all the way back to Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> he took my teddy bear. I love Right, give me my teddy bear back. So so what does he do? He he kind of grumbles a little bit. Or he peels. Maybe grumbles is not the that the right word for it. But yeah, he's like overwhelmed by this whole thing and he's getting exhausted by it. It seems like to me. And so he asked God, he goes, I need some help here. You know, I can't, these are a stiff neck people, you know, help me out. And uh, so, so what happens is God has Moses institute a kind of hierarchy. He begins to have, uh, he appoints leaders, a leader over 10, uh, groups of 10, and then those leaders kind of report in. We would use like today's organizational lingo, report into a captain. The captain is over 100, you know, and then there's another above them. And so you institute a, a hierarchy, and each each step of the hierarchy there's a is in, is infused with authority around decision-making to make, to make final decisions, to, to issue decrees, if you will. And then there's also a kind of appeal process too, right? So, and we see this throughout our, uh, our current setting, right? But you see, you see the pattern of that um, in the Old Testament. It's not limited to the Old Testament history, but you can see it explicitly with Moses. Um, and so that allow that, that, so authority then is used to settle disputes um, that are that are uh, intrinsic to the human condition. They arise with the human condition, and then from the dis- uh, settling disputes, you're able to uh, achieve or restore order, or prevent order from uh, devolving into tyranny or chaos. Yeah, and I think I think the point of the delegation of the authority downwards, right? I think that's an important part of authority because you know you, you start with even the creation story and you go back to the authority that Adam was given, um, you know, dominion over creation, etc. Where did that authority come from? 
Well, it was given to him by God, right? right, and, right. And, and where did Moses' authority come from? Well, it was given to him by God. Moses was called to lead right. the people out of Egypt. And then he... he used to meet with God face to face in the tent. Exactly. <laughs> but then he, he took that authority and he delegated it down. Right. And so I, that, that's a nature of, of authority that I think holds consistent... I mean, even even within households that, you know, the authority that you have as a parent is delegated to you. You know, my my uh, my my parents were very fond of saying that, you know, we weren't their kids. We were God's kids and they were just given the authority to raise us. Um, right, I, I think right. that was dodging responsibility a little bit personally. Now that I get to be an adult, but, you know, <laughs> but the, the point is, is that that authority, because it's delegated, there's something about it that it becomes a little bit, I guess, less than perfect the further it goes down the chain. And I think any of us that have, have worked in a, in a large organization recognize this, that the more that those decisions get pushed further and further down the chain, the less those decisions actually have much weight and much power. So um, there's something about authority that gets diluted um, the more it's delegated. And I'm going to exercise my authority as the one who has control over the buttons to say it's time for a break. Right. And we'll be back with more of the Catholic Cave right after this. Polar bears are uncomfortable in Arizona. Parrots avoid Alaska. And you shouldn't get too comfortable here. God's got a place for you that's so much better. Heaven. Some environments are just better than others. Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy has a new look. It's our website. Yes, we have a new website that makes everything about Catholic Radio Indy easier. It's clean, straightforward, and simple to use. You can listen to us live, see our schedule, and our map. You can even silence your phone and take it right into Mass to follow the daily readings. And don't forget, you can get all of our programming through the podcast tab. This makes everything so much easier. So just go to catholicradioindy.org and check us out. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Timothy O'Donnell in the cave with Mark Tuttle, Kent Blanford. I've wrestled the controls away from Kent Blanford and taken authority, okay, for myself. <laughs> we will respect Tim's authority. Right, right, or be assimilated. <laughs> so we see uh so we're talking about authority. So Mark, let's let's move the car. So we laid a little groundwork there, talking a little bit about uh, Aristotle, uh Moses in the Old Testament. But let's talk about something. I want to. I want to bring up this because I know you're here to talk about this too. What about disagreements? Right, right. right? And, and you know, that's kind of where I was was trying to go with with um, you know this idea that the more authority gets delegated, the more likely you are to to possibly disagree. The the less power it really seems to hold, right? Um, and so, what do you do when you know that that person in authority? Is absolutely wrong. I remember in the fifth grade, mm -hmm. um, I, I did not get along with my fifth grade teacher. And so she was up there. We were studying geometry. And um, I forget how the point came up, but I insisted that all squares were actually rectangles. Oh, and yeah. she said, no, they're not. And I'm like, no, I, I know I'm right. I mean, I've, 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 mm -hmm. by fifth grade, I'd studied enough geometry to know that a rectangle yes. means, and I, I also knew a tiny bit of German that helped a little bit, but you know, okay. a rectangle <laughs> means a right angle and it's got four of them and a square has four of them. Therefore it's a rectangle. I knew this. Right. Um, and, and, and she was just not going to yield on this. So, you <laughs> right. know, guess what happened? 
uh, you got in trouble. I did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, good old, good yeah. old Mark got got sent to the uh, uh, to the naughty chair. I mean, we we had uh, class in these portable buildings, uh, and the naughty yeah. chair was actually outside. So good oh, old, yeah, banishment, banishment. Oh, exactly, that's yeah. a, that harkens back to the Old Testament too. <laughs> right. But yeah, but, forty degrees, wind, rain, right, snow. Right, right. And and looking back on it, no, I did not handle that well. Um, you know, <laughs> by, by, <laughs> I. I don't think I know a you fifth grader remember. who would. Yeah, <laughs> you are scarred by that. Right, it's still coming up. Right, exactly. <laughs> but but when you disagree with authority, um, I, I think you 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 do have to kind of step back and you have to recognize where the hierarchy of authority lies to a certain extent. And in the course of things, honestly, our conscience rises above and beyond the authority of those over us. And I know that's a, that's a controversial statement, but, um, you know, it's kind of the, if you want to distill a lot of the writings of, uh, Saint now, John Cardinal, John Henry Cardinal Newman. Um, if you want to, uh, distill his writings down, it really comes to that, that honestly, God is the ultimate authority, but above that, the next authority that he's given is conscience. Now, how does that work? Right? Because, um, yeah, I think everybody's going to recoil at that and say, no, you have to be obedient to the church's teachings, etc. And Newman saw no conflict there. And the reason he saw no conflict there is getting back to something that we talked about earlier in this, the, uh, the first segment, and that's the purpose of authority, right? What is ultimately the purpose of authority? Well, it's to form the conscience. That's really the purpose of authority is to to form your will so that you can submit and obey and follow God directly, right? So all these intermediary authorities, they're there to form your conscience so that you can obey God. And, And I, to this day, do know that God says that, yes, squares are rectangles. Right. Right, exactly. Well, you know, I, I would find agreement with that, Mark, because the I think it's even the cat you know, the catechism has a nice section on conscience. And I think even um uh Saint John Henry Cardinal Newman is even referenced there. And it is the conscience is that inner that inner uh voice where God makes known to us right from wrong. And so we the first precept of the natural law is to do good and avoid evil. So that's the and that's that's the first precept of the moral law, do good and avoid evil. And so we have uh, God speaks to us. um, You see it in St. Paul as well, um, that uh, we have this we have a knowledge of right from wrong and we should never violate our conscience and do something wrong on purpose now it gets it gets messy when it because oh yeah well it's not always clear to know exactly what the right or wrong thing is so and you have to inform your conscience there's a lot goes into conscience but you're right at 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 uh, at the fundamental level it's it's where god makes known to us right from wrong and then we should always do what we we should always do good and avoid evil and that's and that's really the I would say that's how that's the in the most basic sense that's also how we're going to be judged when we die and we face our particular judgment is we're going to be weighed it's going to, our our lives will be weighed against that uh, that that yardstick yeah and you know conscience is one of those funny words that over the years over the eons 
Um, I think the language has shifted. You know, we could do a whole show on uh, on, on Alistair McIntyre a little bit about how our moral language no longer matches up to what it used to be. Oh, yeah. But, but conscience is one of those words that the, the original meaning of it has, has sort of molded. So when you're talking about conscience and you look back at Aristotle and St. Thomas, what they're talking about is the right will. Um, you know, I think that's really sort of what, what what we moderns talk about as conscience. They're talking about as the 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 right will. And so, if if you're kind of how do you develop a strong moral conscience? How do you dis- develop that strong will? And and honestly, you know, Aristotle, I think, is is great to read this. And if you're going to read Aristotle, you might as well read the best of his interpreters, which is St. Thomas. So, you know, read the... Read right! The, <laughs> read the commentaries on the Nicomachean Ethics, right, along with the Nicomachean... Right. You, know, you get the best of both worlds there. Right. Um, but when you're looking at it, you can err and go wrong um, on, on any virtue in really three ways, right? So... <laughs> Um, any of us that give that sort of Aristotle 101 talk, we say, well, you know, for every virtue, there's two ways to go wrong. You can go, you know, an excess or a defect. Well, there's really three three ways, maybe even four if you you break it down. You can have the ex- you can have a vice on either side of any virtue. So like courage, right? So you can have a you know a deficiency of courage or an excess of courage, right? Rashness is courage. Those are the vices, but you can also have weakness of will, to where when you know the courage is called for, you just don't have the willpower to be able to do it, right? Mm. So you've got a, a weak, an involuntary will that doesn't allow you to do what is right. And I think that falls into, um, you know, I think that that strength of, of the will, that, that ability of, of the will to kind of know what's correct, that's the virtue of prudence, and being able to follow it, that's ultimately our conscience. And that's really what the authorities above us are put there to, to teach us what's right and wrong, but also to strengthen our will so that we can do right and wrong when the time comes for it. Yeah, it, it, it also reminds me of St. Augustine, who, who gets quoted often, you know, love God and do what you will. So in other words, our, one of our, our goals is to, um, a, the way, a way of perfection in the spiritual life is to align our will, the things we desire, we want, to want what God wants. That's the that's the that's I think at the heart of maybe what you're saying, and so our conscience is formed um, in in part by education. Right, this is why education. That's what you were talking about. I think earlier um, about authority having the. Uh, um, you have a you need authority to establish things like an educational system that will convey the truth of things. So when you know the truth of things, which is knowing is a power of the intellect, then your intellect will offer to the will that which is good, true, and beautiful, and will desire it. And so I think that's and, and so that's that's where we. You're making a you're you're kind of wrinkling your nose. What, what, I, what? I I am yeah. wrinkling my nose a little bit at that. All right, go and, ahead. Well, and, and and it's not so much that I disagree with what you're saying, but when you're talking about authority, the the point there is to a certain extent the authorities stand in for that knowledge of the the object and desire of what what's good, true, and beautiful. In other words, when you've got authority, and the reason authority is able to teach us and form us is because now we've got a readily available object of what we might not otherwise be able to see ourselves so um i I agree so i mean that's that's pretty abstract so to put it down into the sort of the the more i I guess mundane world because now um 
Kent is over there raising his eyebrows. He's giving me that <laughs> signal of like, you've gone over everybody's head. Why don't you uh, break it down for us a little bit? So, um, <laughs> so when when you've got the, when you've got the, the the church's teaching, I think this is really kind of where we're we're going with this. The purpose of the the church's teaching is to form us to follow God's will, but we don't always see it, right? We don't always know how giving up meat on Fridays during Lent isn't just sort of an arbitrary rule that the church lays down. But we have to respect the authority and trust the authority of the church to recognize that, no, that's to train our will, to, 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 to sort of give us a, a strength of will so that we can follow God in stronger things, that there is reason behind it, even if we don't understand it. And so obedience often comes across as blind. Right? It's it's still following authority. It's still reasonably placed because you're you're respecting the authority of somebody that's reasonable. But we often don't see the point and the reason for the things that the authorities lay down. And it always, just authority should always be directed towards lining you up and teaching you how to follow God's will. Yeah, I, I agree. And there there is, I think, again, kind of using the parent-child um, analogy, I would say obedient that I think the goal of obedience or what, what, what we hope comes out of obedience is that, uh, what flowers from obedience is love. So you initially as a child obey your parents for the sake of, uh, peace and order in the home, create, it contributes to that, but also because they know better. Okay. They know more. Um, and through that over time, the obedience will lead to one, a, a, a kind of knowing over time, you, you grow in knowledge and experience, but also the OB, authority that's uh, directed, I'd say properly, is habituating you in virtue, uh, which takes time uh, to form. And then you become a virtuous person and through that obedience, you learn to love and appreciate. So your love will flower out of your obedience. And I, I think of like the uh, precepts of Holy Mother Church. The precepts are there. We're to obey them. There's not exceptions to them. But the goal isn't, for example, when the precepts attend Mass on, on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation, we can do it. It's sufficient to, to attend Mass uh out of obedience, but it's the goal is that through that obedience, that and and then knowledge and experience of the mass, that it 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 flowers into love, and we go out of love. Well, we're coming up on a break, but um, after the break, I want to talk about you know it's easy to recognize our our duty to obey our parents, our duty to obey the church, but what about other authorities that may not be? You must chosen? obey me, Mark. Right. <laughs> Well, but what or Barney the Wonder Dog? Or, he's he's supposed to obey me, and he doesn't. Or our governments? <laughs> oh, uh, you know, yes. Yeah, what what kind of obedience do we owe to our government? So let's let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be right here with more of the Catholic Cave. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indie, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24/7. Do your friends a favor, tell them about Catholic Radio Indie. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. 
We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Where do you go for reliable information on what's happening in the world? Where can you turn for rock-solid teaching backed by centuries of unchanging, undeniable truth? Look first to the Catholic Church, and then be sure to tune in right here to Catholic Radio Indy. We are your source for 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Catholic Radio Indy and CatholicRadioIndy.org. Welcome back once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell and Kent Blanford, and we've been talking about obedience and authority. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of the stereotype about Catholics, right, Tim? That, you know, we just have oh, blind mm-hmm. obedience and we blindly follow the Pope and... and uh, Works get, of the law. Right. And yeah. and I'm too, I'm too young to remember this, but, um, you know, when, when John F. Kennedy became president, there was a lot of, of discussion and... and oh, yeah. uh, question as to whether, well, you know, now the United States is just going to blindly follow the the Vatican, right? Right. And um, a foreign power, a foreign power. And then there was a lot of criticism of John F. Kennedy when mm-hmm. he didn't necessarily line up necessarily with what well, he kind of disavowed, like, I won't be doing that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that you might, the yeah, Catholics. <laughs> yeah. You might be able to say he went a little too far on the other right. side, but nonetheless, right. you know, U.S. policy did not always line up with what the Vatican was, was asking the U.S. to mm-hmm. do. Um, so when is it okay, I guess, to sort of disagree with kind of what the church is, is, is saying? I mean, do we have a right as Catholics to disagree with church teaching on occasion? Or maybe not church teaching, but at least what, you know, some of the... the uh, some of the bishops statements and, yeah statements, statements. Or, or yeah statements or things, things that come out and say interviews right and and when do we know that no even though this is something i don't quite understand and grasp this is something that i really do owe my obedience to to follow well uh so there's a lot there i think there's there's several different layers to that i'll i'll, I'll take maybe the easy one the easy one is uh church teaching that is in the category of settled doctrine and dogma. So these would be the perennial teachings of the church where the church has definitively stated that these things are true. Um, and of course the, the, the example, an example um, would be uh, that involves papal infallibility, which is another, uh, you know, raises a lot of, especially even within Catholic circles, but, Outside of Catholic circles, a lot of misunderstanding and and uh, uh, accusations uh, is would be I would say the uh, assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary into heaven, which was declared infallibly by Pope Pius the Twelfth, and so or the Immaculate Conception, I think, is the only other. Um, explicit exercise of papal infallibility, and that was uh, Blessed Pius the Ninth. Um, and so those would be two examples: the dogma of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary, the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, that Catholics are required to give your we're required to give our full assent of will to the truth. That those that those that those teachings are true, and to knowingly to to know the dogmas, 
and refuse to give the assent that they're true is to then in a damage one's communion with Holy Mother Church. Right. And I think to, to understand that a little bit, I think we've got to understand what the what the real authority of the magisterium is there. The Pope did not make these dogmas up. Right. So the the Pope was Correct. not sitting up there in the, the, the Vatican, you know, like some sort of Greek sybil, you know, trying to imbibe the the, the fumes of God. Right. To, they don't come to, out of thin air. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, no, no, these were these were long standing beliefs and practices of the church that Mm-hmm. The authority of the church is to affirm what the church has always taught. I mean, that that's really the the magisterial church, you know, magisterial sort of thing is to to affirm that this is something that the church has always taught, and also I think to to kind of figure out how it applies to the modern world as the world changes, church teaching doesn't change. So how does this apply or not apply, or or it used to apply and now it doesn't? How does that all fit in within the the, the modern setting? But the church does not have the authority to make up doctrine, right? It doesn't have the authority to make up dogma. And so, you know, I think a lot of people get confused when they hear papal infallibility and they think, well, okay, papal infallibility means that the Pope can infallibly just say whatever he wants and that becomes dogma. And that's not really the authority that the Holy Father has been given. The Holy Father has been given the authority to affirm what the church has always taught and always believed. Yeah, and it's it's helpful. it's helpful. So I would say if you if for anyone listening who wants to to really look into that issue of papal infallibility, you can read the documents of Vatican One. That's that's going to be super helpful. Um, it, and the authority of the Bishop of Rome, who's the vicar of Christ, um, to uh, whether it's through the exercise of papal infallibility or a church council then that is super helpful to us because, as we mentioned maybe in the first—I uh, think it was the first segment, disputes over t- uh, arise over time. Um, and so uh, having a church council or having the Pope make a declarative, definitive statement on something that uh, is in dispute is very, very helpful because we as the faithful then know— what is true and what is false, and therefore it's worthy of our assent of will to the truth of the matter. So um, that's going to be particularly helpful. You see that a lot. You see it quite frequently in the early church councils where questions like it's not, it wasn't really clear. Um, it was disputed like, well, who is this person, Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be the son of the father? How? What does it mean to have two natures, a divine nature and a human nature? What does it mean to have a divine will and a human will, all operating at the same time? These are, these are deep, deep, deep uh, theological questions. And so the Holy Spirit moves through the church and is leading us to the truth of all things. And then uh, another, uh, since we mentioned him before in regards to conscience, uh, St. John uh, Henry Cardinal Newman, that's kind of a mouthful, that's a long right. name at this point, um, we were talking about his letter to the Nor- uh, to the Duke of Norfolk, explaining conscience and papal infa- infallibility. But, but, the other, but another book by him, it really has to do with the development of doctrine, and that's a key understanding to what you, you were saying, a key insight he has, which is that Doctrine develops over time, meaning we grow 
in our understanding, we are able to plumb the depths of the truth of things, like plumbing the depths of sacred scripture. It's inexhaustible. So over time, if we're uh, studying sacred scripture, for example, we should be able to uh, uncover and encounter even more riches as it pertains to the splendor of the truth that God wants to reveal to us. But there's never to the enemy, I would say the enemy of the development of doctrine, the enemy is is novelty. That's where something sort of plunk, you know plunks on the scene out of out of nowhere, uh, and that creates something. Uh, when he was Cardinal Ratzinger, uh, creates rupture. So there's continuity and there's rupture. Continuity is the development of doctrine over time. Rupture is the introduction of novelty. Novelty produces rupture, which also, I would say, is often a feature of heresy, too. Right, right. And, you know, I think all of that helps to see sort of how the conscience plays with and and works with the authority, right? So, you know, the, the question that John Cardinal Henry Newman was— uh, really tasked with answering, right? So this actually, you know, Vatican I happened late in his life. So he was already a well-established cardinal, well-established voice of the Catholic Church in England. Um, when Vatican, a world-famous convert. <laughs> world-famous convert, exactly. Right. And so Vatican I happened, and I think it was William Gladstone, um, basically just went on a tirade and accused the Catholics of all of the things that we Catholics have, have heard of, well, you know. All the anti-Catholic exactly. uh, <laughs> that, that, that's it. You can no longer be a good Englishman and a good and a good Catholic. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They would which, bring up treason, and right? Things. Which, right? Yeah. It, you know, it, it, I don't think in Gladstone's day it was treason, but it had been not in too far the the, the distant past. There's a lot of right? dead Irishmen because of it, right? Yeah. Exactly. So of that it, thinking. So this was so this was sort of scary to the Catholics. So they they looked to uh, to Newman to to answer this. And um, the the question is, well, what does a Catholic do when his conscience seems to conflict with the teachings of the Pope, right? The Pope's now infallible. Can a Catholic follow his conscience against the, the Pope? And what Newman said is that conflict will never arise. That was ultimately his his answer. That conflict mm-hmm. will never arise because the authority that's given to the Pope, first off, is to affirm what the Church has taught. But second, the purpose of that is to draw souls and draw the conscience and form the conscience so that it can follow the will of God in itself. So so the authority of the church and our conscience as it's being formed are both being drawn in the same direction by the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And so there's not going to be a conflict as as long as you're as long as you're kind of properly following a well-formed conscience. So, you know, if you do perceive a um, if you do perceive some sort of conflict there between the dogmas or doctrines of the church and what your conscience is telling you, it's time for further study. It's time for for, for going back and, and sort of looking at what your conscience is really telling you and, and why your conscience is leading you that direction. But I think Newman's right. At the end of the day, you really can't violate your own conscience. Yes, you should never violate your own conscience. I would agree with that, because that would be a violation, again, of the first precept of the natural law. You should always do good and avoid evil. Uh, and, and with that, too, the truth is one. Is one. I think there's a, there's a unity to truth. And it, it can be very difficult or challenging to get there. One of the false dichotomies that's, that we encounter all the time, I, uh, that, with some frequency at least, 
is the, um, the false opposition of faith and science, right? So behind science and behind faith ultimately is the same source of truth, and the source of all truth is the triune God. Right. So any appearance of um, incompatibility with science and faith, for example, is um, ultimately should be resolvable with enough per, uh, by pursuing the truth of things. So gathering facts and evidence and things like that, we sh- we will always be able to reconcile because. At the end of the day, there's really only one truth. Of right. Things. And that's where analyzing the authority really comes into play, too, because, you know, science holds sway. Science is an authority. Science does does have an authoritative voice over what the natural world looks like, how the natural world works, what the component parts of the natural world are, etc. I mean, really, honestly, I would never argue with a physicist about physics. That would be stupid. He is the authority. He studied it. He knows what he's talking about. Supposedly, um, but, if he stays within his discipline, and that's exactly. But it. even within physics, though, there's dispute, right? Right, right. yeah, yeah. The, the, physicists <laughs> the physicists will dispute di- them, right? Yeah, right. they'll dispute with themselves. Right. But nonetheless, when when that physicist starts to try to assert authority over morality, when they try to assert authority right. over politics and try to, to, to kind of claim a certain political power, um, that's when their authority, they, they no longer are authorities in those realms. And you have to look to the, the, the correct, just authorities, really, to, to see who you should obey and who, who you should follow. And we're ne- going to need to take a break. We are looking at the subjects of authority, obedience, and conscience How do we reach a balance? You're listening to The Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy. So, the scan button brought you here. Awesome. We like company. Get to know us. And if you have to leave, come back. You're always welcome. Catholic Radio Indy. At Catholic Radio, we love to hear from you. Call us anytime. Just recently, we found this message on our voicemail. I'm a non-Catholic that listens to your Catholic radio station, and I just wanted to thank you guys. I listen to uh, Catholic Answers and Al Crestus sometimes, and I think her name's Teresa Tommy. I listen to her and uh, another show or two. I appreciate it. Call us at 317-870-8400 and let us know what you're thinking. I just called to say, even though I'm not a Catholic, I listen to your station. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell and Kent Blanford. And we were talking right before the break about what kind of deference do we really owe authorities in other realms, right? We talked mm-hmm. about the church, and, and uh, you know, the authority of the church is one that's given to affirm what the church has always taught. Um, so they study sacred doctrine, they study the revelation, they, they have the authority to affirm that. But then also, you know, their authority, the purpose of their authority is to point souls and form consciences so that we can line ourselves up with God's will. Um, so ultimately within that hierarchy, it's our conscience above all, a well-formed conscience that's sort of the, the top authority and the other authorities are there to line it up. But when you're looking at science, when you're looking at politics, when you're looking at all these other authorities in the world, they have different purposes, right? Their, their purpose is not necessarily to line our will up with God. Um, you know, I think within a, a just hierarchy, they would be lining themselves up because they'd be listening to the church. But their authority is sort of delegated to them into other realms. 
And so their authority kind of stops short of lining us up with the will of God. So what happens when we find disagreements with other authorities, right? Is it wise to always agree with what somebody in authority in another field kind of says? Is it is it somewhat wrong to disagree with them or uh, or do we sort of owe a certain amount of respect and, and deference to the authorities in these other fields of I'm thinking like science politics you know economics um, you know those are things that I I know a little bit about but I certainly don't know enough about to be able to dictate what US policy ought to be so how much should I listen to what the economists that are that are you know they're advising Congress etc how much should I pay deference to to what they say those are good questions i'm going to give one field you didn't mention but i think is uh one uh i think you and i mark kent and our listeners would find uh will find interesting and, and maybe give shine a little light on as an example is we have legalized abortion okay so we have legalized abortion in the united states that's an example of a uh some would call it a health care issue some would call it a political issue it's probably both but that's an example where we ought to we do we reject it as an intrinsic moral evil. It's a grave moral evil, and we should have absolutely nothing to do with supporting or promoting it, and actually should actively be praying and working against it and uh, and and ridding our our country of it. So that would be one example. There's lots of other examples. Um, but before I go there, one one um, book we have talked about in the past was St. Augustine, City of God, which I know you're very familiar with. It's a great book. Read if you read a to read Augustine, I mean anything is fantastic. Yeah. That's one of them. The Confessions, obviously. The, the, the is great thing one. about City of God too is is if you want to read Augustine, that book's long enough and can take a lifetime. So oh, yeah. you, you never have to buy <laughs> yeah. another book. You can just right. read the City of God for the rest right. of your life. Right. And look up all the people he mentions. I mean <laughs> I mean you don't know half the people he's talking about. You have to go look at these uh, look up these historical figures. Well one one of the lessons from there, something it's not the only one, it's kind of building off a little bit uh too of a parable. Um, in the in the Holy Gospels is this there's there's um, there's a so you can recognize that in a that I think he recognizes we can all recognize in society there can be moral evils but it may not be prudent or wise um, to try to uh, remove all the moral evils in a society there's there's some that you're going to have to um, come to some, um, I don't want to say tolerance with, but the, the example he uses is, um, I don't think it's the case in our current setting with abortion, we should get rid of that. But I think he points to like prostitution, like prostitution is called the oldest profession. So it's been around uh, for a long, long time. It's a moral evil, but to rid a society of all prostitutions can re could require, is likely to require um, an amount of force and resources so, an intrusion that it would it would it you're likely to compromise or violate lots of other goods in pursuit of ridding society of all prostitution. So prostitution should be illegal. Um, you should try to um, reduce or minimize it to the best extent possible. But there's a point of which you, in trying to remove evil, you can go too far. I think Saint Augustine says, and we we see that. And there's there's some acceptance i think of or there i think i think of the catholic catholic point of view there there is there needs to be some acknowledgement that this is a fallen world 
um, that uh, sin abounds, the devil's in charge of this world, not uh, and has power, uh, the powers of darkness are loose, and uh, so we're not going to be able to uh, create the heavenly Jerusalem ourselves this side of the grave. Right. And, you know, I think you have to look at the, the purposes, once again, of, of the authority. And so when you look at civil authority, you know, the, the authority of the government and good governance, the, the, the real purpose there is to bring about a tranquil, peaceful society, right? To, to have everybody living in, in, in harmony. And you're exactly right. To bring that about, yeah, that should line up to a certain extent with ideally that should line up with, with following God's will and, and our civil magistrates should be informed by the church as far as what's right and wrong. And they should bring that about, but their purpose once again is to keep everybody living peacefully together. And so since that purpose is not necessarily to form everybody's will, the law is a great teacher. So there's a little bit of that, but honestly, the purpose of law is to keep the peace. Um, I'll disagree with that. Well, it, it it it's first and foremost. I mean, it does play a subordinate role of forming people's consciences, but that's subordinate. You know, if you've got a law that's going to teach people what's right and wrong, but it's going to cause people to kill each other, is that a good law? Is that a good law? Well, whether or not it's a good law, there 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 we would have to appeal to, um, as like uh, even uh, Dr. Martin Luther King did, letter from Birmingham Jail. There's a hierarchy of laws: human laws, natural law divine law, eternal law. So we would appeal to natural law or divine law as ways in which we would measure any human law as to its goodness. Sure, sure. But once again, I mean, the 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 keeping the peace ultimately is what our civil authorities are tasked with, first and foremost. They're, I disagree with that. So they, are, they, they can disregard... I mean, their 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 job would call them to disregard civil uprisings, to disregard disturbances. No, of I didn't the say that. I said you said to, it was the top priority. It's not the top priority. It's a priority, but it's not the top priority. Okay. Well, nonetheless, it's a, a strong priority, and and therefore it is going to, I think, sometimes cause them to make compromises, as you were saying. Um, the political process in a democracy or republic causes that, I would say. There's lots of other political arrangements where they're not concerned with that at all. Maybe most of the globe, like Xi Jinping, yeah. that dude's not too worried about. He's, no. he's got his... Putin, what, what might we might look at what he's up to? Zelensky's, you know. but even a even a just even a just Christian king, right? Go back to the Middle Ages. Well, even there a, we go. Yeah, yeah Christ yeah, the King. Yeah, yeah look at yeah. well, no, 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 no. Like King Louis, the you know, King King Louis of France, Saint King Louis, right? Okay, the ninth. Yeah, yes. yeah. So he's a a just Christian king. Even he's going to have to make some compromises with the populace to to, to rule oh, justly, yeah. right? Exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So well, think of what think what kind of like police surveillance state you'd have to erect across the u.s if your goal was say society reached a consent our society reached a consensus that pornography is uh really evil and uh we're better off without it if you were to try to attempt to completely remove all pornography given the way you can access it these days the the police and the police state you'd have to erect and the surveillance you'd have to erect would be enormous and maybe not quite worth the cost. Instead, I think there's a a, a way in which you could uh, use authority like the state of Utah has done. The state of Utah had had has made steady progress in 
reducing pornography using their authority to do that. How? Right. They outlawed it in hotels. That was number one. And then number now what they've done is they have passed legislation banning the major Internet carriers from streaming pornography into their state. So that doesn't that doesn't mean there aren't other ways to access, but it makes it a lot lot harder. So that's a, a the right kind of balance, I think. Right, right. So getting back to authority, though, right? Because obviously there are going to be times where we disagree with the government. How do we know when it's a just wielding of authority and an unjust wielding of authority? Um, and I th- I think you do have to get back to looking at the purpose of what the what the government is there to do to, to be able to make that, that analysis. Because, um, you know, as you said, there, there are sometimes compromises that have to be made. Um, they don't necessarily always line up with what a perfectly moral, somebody following a well-formed conscience would do, but there are allowances that are made for the sake of a peaceful society in an, in an essentially unjust world. When when can you conscientiously, I guess, kind of acquiesce and say, yeah, that that's okay? And and when do we recognize the government's going beyond their bounds? I mean, we uh, a lot of people were arguing about what the government was requiring people to do during COVID. To what extent oh, yeah. do we? To what extent do we owe obedience to our government, though, or, or are we always just free to thumb our noses at whatever the government tells us? Well, we're always free to thumb our noses at what the government uh, t- tells us, but there's consequences. <laughs> you have to weigh those out, you know, in your own circumstances, and you know the moral weight to the to the to the issue, and uh, your own personal circumstances, your ability to endure the the consequences. So, um, I I do think going back to the there's a difference between like do authority, like for example, in the United States, or take you know, the United States, or take the state. We have a federal government. It's been by virtue of the Constitution and amendments given certain authority. Now, the operation of that or application of that authority, that's where things might go astray. Um, and that's where we have other laws and checks and balances um, to to um, check that. So, for example, when the mask mandate was given as an executive order to all the businesses over, what, 200 people, it was struck down by a court. So there's an example of overreach. So there, at least in the United States, there are some of these checks and balances that is something um, also uh, that applies throughout this discussion of authority, which we're out of time anyway. Right, so I know. We ran out Ken's, of time. Ken's about. exercising his authority to shut us down, Mark. <laughs> well, not completely shut you down, but, you know, at least run the end of this particular program. You've been listening to The Catholic Cave. We'd like to close with just a short prayer, and it's very simply this Lord, Grant me a well-formed conscience that I may know and live your will for me. Amen. 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 And with that, we close this episode of The Catholic Cave. For Mr. Mark Tuttle, for Timothy O'Donnell, I'm Kent Blanford. Until next time, be holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? 
podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.